Hail Dictinus! Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Like every other being, I am a splinter of the infinite deity. Welcome to Deep Dive 8, the 225th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of psychiatrist Carl Jung. Our opening and closing music is credited as Frostwalt Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother, and god damn! 225! It's a perpetually raising number. <laughs> wow. And how many of these deep dives have we done now? Uh, this will be the eighth one. The eighth one. Jesus. I just like them. <laughs> yeah. Kind of got that feeling. Uh-huh. Kind of got that feeling. They're, they're fun. Okay. So housekeeping. It is, in fact, the first episode oh, yes. of April. Mm-hmm. So it's time to read all of the names. Mm-hmm. Everyone prepare. Mentally prepare yourselves. Or skip ahead if you're in the edited version. Whatever. <laughs> I don't tell you what to do. So there are 32 kittens. Thank you, kittens. We love you, kittens. There are 23 cats, and their names are Annalise Scharfenberger, Jeremy Glasenhart, Renjamin, Tiffany Kozash, Ebby, Nikki Norcross, Renee Nyan, Amber Stark, Kelly Burt, Nova Misko, Annabelle Lee, Rose Shepard, Candy Russell, The Dryad, Claire K.R. Miller, Squiggy, Elisa Durka, Kelly Burt, Coney Briggs, Shakora, Rebecca Hillman, Quinn Ann ASMR, and Cindy Barrick. We love you, cats. Thank you, cats. There are 60 hunters, and their names are Kellen Tasber, Charlotte Piwo, Adriana Wicker, Sarah Goff, Lean Gee, or Leanne Gee. <laughs> I feel like that one could go either way, but the spelling. Scout, Lisa N., Heather Weidman, Annie Ray, Tom Warfell, Brandon Adair, CJ Kaufman, Hexaluna, Mary Rose, Misa Sky, Asipiter, Ivy Rose, Cameron Grant, Ashley Ann, Don Taylor, Maharat, Talia Franks, Justin Harrell, Knight Ryan, Druidic Heart, Daughter of Oak, Mach 2556, Alicia Noble, Precious Fire, Roanoke the Wiccan Wizard, Samwise the Blonde, Kitty Catastrophe, Charlene Hughes, Goddess Incognito, Rhiannon M. Gray, La Petite Poison, Loriana Lee Knapp, Saga, Melissa Gerben, Maddie Kunes, Megan Kipper, Corvus Felliday, Kai Oakenshield, Ryan Hopkins, Teresa Tomblin, Rochala and Dasvid, David Dashifan Keys, Zamina Kokoro, Amy Martin, Sky Bierce, Jim Two Snakes, Sarenth Odinson, Ushi Ursa, Victoria Selnes, Finn, Alyssa Addy, Ray Lathrop, Dahlia Darge, Jessica Jones, and Charles Howison. We love you, Hunters. Thank you, Hunters. We have eight leopards, and their names are Jody Cozy, Luna, Kimberly Squeaky Reynolds, Alex Robinson, Eleanor Faithful, Chris Colibri, Gemma Atkinson, and Gary Bearstorm. We love you, Leopards. Thank you, Leopards. We have seven tigers, and their names are Yuki Quinn, M.B. Strang, Around Grandfather Fire, Weavers of the Web, ATC, Kelly and Jim, Amanda Hicks, and Crystal of Apothecary Tees. We love you, tigers. Thank you, tigers. We have one panther, whose name is Laurel Jade. We love you, our singular panther. Laurel Jade, thank you. And we have three jaguars. And their names are Lori Phillips, Nolan Hayes, and Justin Stanage. And we love our jaguars. We have also one Ko-Fi hunter, name of L. L. Thank you, L. Thank you, L. We love you. So it is raining, 
you might or might not be able to hear the atmospheric rain. That's right. In, it's in actually the, quite soothing. Yeah, in the edit, uh, it's coming and going pretty unpredictably, so I'm not even going to try to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very rainy in Michigan mm-hmm. these last, last couple of days. Wow, well, these last couple of weeks, really. Yeah. When Before it's that, not it raining, it's snowing. snowing. If it's yeah. not snowing, it's raining. But we're... We're, we're, we're into have, we're into rain now, and we're tentatively hopeful we'll stay there instead okay. of with snow. I'm okay with rain. If I have to pick one, I prefer the rain. Prefer the rain, yeah. For a while there, it was snow every fucking Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday. On a, it was like it was scheduled. It was. It was bizarre. It was absurd. Kyoke and Shield says the frozen rain was extra oh, heinous. Yeah. God, Ugh. isn't that true? Ugh. Ugh, it was awful. My, I came out to one yes. day to go to, to work, and my car was just encased. <laughs> just like a whole sheet of ice. A sheet of ice. The only good thing about it was all I had to do was, like, tap it. And, with it, just, my, and it just shattered. <laughs> it was the most bizarre thing. It looked like when I did the uh, the windshield, it looked like safety glass. Uh-huh. It was bizarre. <laughs> but that's done now. But that's past that time. That's done. All right. Uh, any other housekeeping that we need to do? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Then we are housekept and... Housewept. Very good. We now proceed to the eighth deep dive, which I'm sure people are getting sick of, but I enjoy them and they're easy to plan. So <laughs> we're going to keep getting them. Oh boy. You're going to get other stuff too. Anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, I believe Gwen and I each have two deities mm-hmm. to, to talk about. So mm-hmm. Gwen, would you like to begin? Sure. I decided to go with Etruscan deities because they are even though they were heavily influenced by the greeks and they ultimately became absorbed into Into, roman um they did have their own unique deities and uh this one in particular actually kind of stands alone in some of her characteristics and is really the one that did influence the greek and roman goddess more so than the other way around so it was interesting and her name is minerva Mm. And they spelled her in Etruscan, it's spelled M-E-N-R-V-A. Hmm. Men-er-va. 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 Mm-hmm. And then it ultimately became Minerva mm-hmm. in the Latin. And uh, But Menfra is also another way hmm. it was pronounced. She was a goddess of war, art, wisdom, medicine, and lightning. Oh, interesting. She, yep, she was one of nine Etruscan lightning deities. And she was associated with weather phenomena, which is why they believe she had unique traits that were separate and didn't get, you know, these didn't get adopted adopted and incorporated. Because some of these, they're kind of, a, you know, it could be a back and forth that maybe the Etruscan the Etruscan deity was right, influenced by the Greek. Because syncretism is not like a A to B phenomenon. Exactly, exactly. It's a, it's a melting pot. <laughs> exactly. But they believe that uh, Minerva, that she had this unique characteristic that for some reason didn't get adopted into the, into the Roman. But yeah, she maybe was. Maybe they had a, fewer storms. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. She was the daughter of Uni. And Tinia, and Uni is actually the uh, counterpart of Juno. Okay. Tinia is the sky god, or who would ultimately become Zeus. In, or get, or, incorporated, or get into. incorporated into Zeus. But yeah, she was just like her counterpart. She contributed to the con- this concept of wisdom. And she's often portrayed like uh, with a helmet, a spear, and a shield with like a gorgon on her helmet. Mm-hmm. She is considered a protector of 
Hercule, who became Heracles, Mm -hmm. and Percy, who became Perseus. And on a bronze mirror found uh, at Cronesti, she attends to Perseus, who went after Medusa. Right. So so what you're saying is this means the Medusa mythology and the Gorgon mythology goes back to the Etruscans. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they seem to be indicating here. And then, let's see, she is also on a bronze mirror found around 300 BCE, portrayed attending Prometheus. Mm, attending in what way? They say she was bandaging his wounds on his chest. I don't remember that from the Greek yeah, it, it's, story. So I think it might be something that was strictly from the Etruscan. Right. So there were things that they didn't adopt. Yeah, Things obviously. that they didn't bring over. Elle asks, did Minerva pop out of Jove's head or is that strictly a Greek thing? That was something that, that was adopted later in her mythology because it was a Greek thing, mm. but not initially. So it wasn't part of the original Etruscan yeah. Minerva. Yeah. Elle says they were wondering because of the lightning connection. Interesting. So anything else about Minerva? Nope. That distinguishes it. her? Fair enough. There's not a lot about the individual Etruscans because so many of them were incorporated, you know, or or drawn from Greek. Right. There was a heavy sources. syncretization. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting to find the ones that they really talk about are the ones that had slightly unique characteristics on their own. Right. So like Minerva's lightning thing not getting absorbed into right right Roman and the Minerva. the Gorgon. Uh, going back that far. Yeah, going yeah. back that far. Because, like, in Greek society, in Greek mm-hmm. culture, snakes were associated with healing, which has always made the gorgon thing and the snake hair and mm-hmm. the that, that monstrosity of the snake in the Medusa story sort of peculiar. So I wonder mm-hmm. if that goes back to an Etruscan thing. So first I'm going to talk about Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl. Yes. That's the snake daddy, isn't he? One of, yes. Yeah. Quetzalcoatl is a very widespread Mesoamerican deity. The name Quetzalcoatl is a Nahuatl name for this specific feathered serpent deity, Mm -hmm. which means it comes from the Aztec period. This deity is believed to predate that time, Mm -hmm. but just had different names or names that we don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's best known as Quetzalcoatl. The name actually means serpent of precious feathers, according to a 17th century descendant of Aztec royalty, uh, who is who was a historian at that time, Mm. who had made a study of the language, said that his like literal translation of it would be serpent of precious feathers, but that it meant more generally sort of a wise, illustrious man. Mm. So the earliest reference to this deity, there are earlier references than this to snake figures in various Mesoamerican cultures, but the earliest one that's thought to like definitively refer to Quetzalcoatl Mm -hmm. is an appearance at Teotihuacan in the first century, either BCE or CE. So Mm. somewhere in that junction between before and after, between before and after (laughs) the current era is thought to be the earliest reference to Quetzalcoatl. The actual name Quetzalcoatl doesn't come about until the post-classic period, Uh, between 900 and 1519 CE at Tulula, uh, which is also the site of the largest pyramid on Earth. Well, the the actual pyramid is no longer fully standing, but um, Tulula was the largest pyramid that was ever created. And it was the site of, like, a center of Quetzalcoatl's worship. Mm. And so the name is believed to have originated there with Nahuatl Aztec worship of the feathered serpent. Mm. Originally, Quetzalcoatl is represented as being fully zoomorphic, meaning 
having no human features, just being the the vast snake with the feathers and, and various raiments. Mm -hmm. um, he does sometimes even in the serpent form wear certain kinds of jewelry. So he has like specific like earrings and in particular a conch shell that he wears, mm. which is associated with the wind because he is a deity of the wind. Oh, that makes sense. He was often perceived as being in the wind, um, being sort of manifest in wind. Mm -hmm. So like if there was a, like a strong wind rushing through, especially mm -hmm. if it was destructive in any way. It was said that Quetzalcoatl is angry, but he was also described sometimes as the road sweeper of the rain gods. So like he would come through ahead of them mm -hmm. to clear out the previous weather to make room for rain. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like the wind would come and then the rain. He's also associated later in his existence with rulership and priestly classes. Mm -hmm. In fact, there were, by tradition, in some times and places in Aztec society, twin high priests who were known as Quetzalcoatls. And Quetzalcoatl himself is a twin. So his twin is Zolotl, who is sort of a dog-shaped deity. And they have some, some Clearly interesting... Clearly not identical twins. No. And they have some... <laughs> Fraternal yeah. twins. Fraternal twins. And they have some, some interesting sort of interactions in the mythology. Mm -hmm. He does have anthropomorphized forms that appear later in Quetzalcoatl's sort of mythological cycle. In particular, not when he is Quetzalcoatl. So mm -hmm. he has some other forms that he can take. One of the really distinctive ones is as Ehecatl a wind deity, so is seen as a form of Quetzalcoatl, and mm -hmm. Ehecatl has a more human form. Interesting. But even Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, sometimes gains more human features, sometimes is a feathered serpent with like a beard, like a human being, or will have, you know, more of a humanish face, mm -hmm. things like that. There are many origins for Quetzalcoatl. Several of them originate with him having a virgin mother, Chimalman. Mm-hmm. And there are a variety of ways that she's said to have become pregnant with Quetzalcoatl and sometimes also his twin, Zolotl. Mm -hmm. The two that I think are the most interesting are one of them is she is married to a king. And this is where like the, the rulership association comes mm -hmm. in. But she's married to this king, but they have a childless union. Mm -hmm. So she goes to a priest asking how she can have a baby. Have a baby to carry on this this lineage mm -hmm. and he tells her to swallow an emerald and she swallows the an emerald and Quetzalcoatl is born. That's an interesting remedy. Uh-huh. The other one is that sometimes she's shot by an arrow mm -hmm. from Mixquatl's bow. Mixquatl is a, a hunter sky deity who's associated with like the Milky Way mm -hmm. and the firmament is said to have like fired his bow and the arrow shot her in the womb oh. and impregnated her with Quetzalcoatl and Zolotl. Okay. Um, Intentionally? Ambiguous. <laughs> to what degree that was intentional. Was it an accident? Uh -huh. Who but, can say? Um, but Mixquatl is sometimes represented as being Quetzalcoatl's father in other forms of the mythology as well. There are other origin stories for Quetzalcoatl as well. Mm -hmm. One of the other ones is that he is one of the four Tezcatlipoca, and they're all associated with the different colors, and he is the white Tezcatlipoca, mm -hmm. associated with light, justice, mercy, and the wind. Oh, and in that 
form of his origin story, he's associated with the other Tezcatlipoca, and they are sort of higher beings mm -hmm. associated with these cardinal states, directions, mm -hmm. um, and who sort of order the universe. So he's more of a creator deity in, yes. in that aspect. He's also associated with the planet Venus, and as the morning star, with his twin Zolotl being the evening star. Oh, okay. And so they sort of trade off yeah. these duties as sky deities mm -hmm. as well. He's a very, very interesting character, um, yeah. Quetzalcoatl. He's supposed to have been the inventor of books and calendars. Mm -hmm. Is supposed to have given maize, so corn, to the priests so that they could learn how to grow it. In Toltec areas, he's thought to have brought the cocoa plant to the Toltec people and taught the women how to make drinking chocolate. Nice. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you, Quetzalcoatl, for your very cool... We appreciate that. <laughs> your, yes, we, we, all we all appreciate the bringing of the cocoa plant to the Toltec. That's right. <laughs> and the drinking chocolate mm -hmm. is good stuff. There's another story where he's associated as more of a creator deity. So the Aztec believed in cyclical worlds, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so our sun was the fifth sun, and so we were the fifth people. At the end of each sun, the previous race of man or race of beings mm -hmm. dies, mm -hmm. and the new sun is born and learns to make its way across the sky, and new people are born. Right. Um, and in fact, in one of his stories, Ehecatl, one of the aspects of Quetzalcoatl, kills all the other gods to force the sun to move. There's a whole fight with his brother Zolotl about it because Zolotl doesn't want to die. Gotcha. Um, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, um, but so the story is that Quetzalcoatl, when the fifth son is born, takes the bones of the fourth race and imbues them with his own blood mm. to make the fifth race, which is mankind. Okay. So in that sense, we're all the descendants of Quetzalcoatl. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Kai Oakenshield says, we love a man on a mission. Yeah, That's we do. Right. That's right. <laughs> that sun has got to move, and if the only way to do it is to kill all the other gods, then by God, he's going to do that. That's right. Yeah, so a very interesting deity with a very complex and layered mythology. Because he was worshipped throughout Mesoamerica and for a very, very long mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. um, he's got lots of different and sometimes contradictory mythologies. Like so, they do. Yeah, so like... It's hard to like stitch together just like one narrative of Quetzalcoatl because mm -hmm. you'd sort of have to like pick a time and place and have that narrative of Quetzalcoatl right. and just acknowledge that it's going to be different from all the other narratives of Quetzalcoatl. Right. But honestly, every Quetzalcoatl narrative is interesting. <laughs> I couldn't find a single one that was boring. <laughs> but so the other thing I want to talk about with Quetzalcoatl is when the Spanish came to Mexico mm -hmm. to conquer it, they claimed oh dear <laughs> they claimed in their papers mm -hmm. which are most of the evidence we have of this period that the local aztec peoples received them as gods and in particular that they believed cortez was an incarnation of quetzalcoatl mm -hmm. recent re-examination of the evidence says that's all bullshit has indicated that's <laughs> unlikely, uh, certainly that that is not confirmed, right? right? This is a widespread myth that, like, Cortez was received as the incarnation of Quetzalcoatl and that that's why the Spanish were able to conquer the Aztec. Because mm. um, the, the Spanish essentially sent home 
a narrative that like, oh, these primitive peoples are so incompetent and so naive, they believe us to be gods. And so they just let us steamroll right over them. That's not really what happened. The Aztec did resist right. their conquering, right? Yes. They were just outclassed by gunpowder, yeah. effectively. They just had more <laughs> advanced weaponry. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, they were, ju- they were just at a technological disadvantage. Yeah. But... They were still fierce. Exactly. And there are some some cultural misunderstandings that may have led to some confusion about this. So, like, in Aztec culture, politeness was actually a sign of aggression. Mm. So if you were being, like fastidiously polite to someone it was you indicating to them that you had so much power over them that you that you could crush them and there was no need for you to be outwardly aggressive to them right so so it was reverse politeness right so the more polite you were to someone the more aggressive your demeanor was but the spanish obviously didn't understand this so like the king of an aztec city would greet cortez and be and very politely with extreme graciousness and, you know, would, like, offer him the highest seat mm-hmm. and all these things. And Cortez would be like, oh, these dumb natives are rolling over. Mm-hmm. But to the Aztec, that was essentially the king saying, you dumb motherfucker, get out of my town. Right. right. <laughs> I could crush you like a bug. It was just differences exactly. of culture. And, and so these cultural misunderstandings contributed to this perception that the Aztec were welcoming the conquistadors, and they absolutely were not. Because of the different, yeah. the, the ways the cultures Perceptions. didn't, inter, like, did not integrate well, mm-hmm. this narrative became the, the sort of the myth of Cortez. Right. Was that he was able to just, like, walk in and project his charisma. And, and people over. just Yeah, and people just, like, fell at his feet. That does not at all seem to have been the case. Mm-hmm. It does not seem like there was any mythology about Quetzalcoatl coming back. Like there was, there was no expectation in Aztec society that Quetzalcoatl would ever incarnate in some way. Certainly not as some foreign man. Well, you got to remember the conquistadors were coming from the Roman Catholic, exactly, and that's the culture. That's the other thing. A lot of the missionaries with them were Franciscans, and Franciscans did have a millenarian perspective of a returning Christ figure right. imminently. Right. So it's thought that they sort of like projected mm-hmm. that view of like a returning Messiah onto the Aztec religion and Quetzalcoatl. And so this like, and so it's just this whole big ballooning disaster myth Mm -hmm. that was not probably reflective of the reality on the ground. The Mm -hmm. reality on the ground is that the Aztecs were being polite to Cortez because they hated him passionately and did not respect him. Yeah. And Quetzalcoatl was never thought to have been um, Cortez himself or thought to have been a returned or embodied as a human being. It's thought that if Quetzalcoatl played any part in the eventual domination of the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. It was just that in Cholula, the center of Quetzalcoatl worship, mm-hmm. there were some factions fighting over gotcha. exactly the right kind of political and priestly approaches to worshiping Quetzalcoatl. And like those divisions and fractures mm-hmm. left the Aztec empire vulnerable. Vulnerable, yeah. Which is typical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so so like that's the only real contribution Quetzalcoatl played to the, you know, the decline of the Aztec Empire and its overthrow by the conquistadors. Gotcha. This Quetzalcoatl-Cortez myth is exactly that. It's a myth. Yeah. And yes, Kai, they really did just pull a full Abrahamic revival on him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's just, like, looking into the Quetzalcoatl-Cortez myth, 
is just absurd. Like, yeah. when you look into the actual facts of the situation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the whole... The, the whole sum of the myth seems to come down to papers Cortez wrote back to the Spanish court bigging mm-hmm. himself up. Yeah. Well, that's typical. Because <laughs> they were his patrons. And uh-huh. so he had to come exactly. across it. So he'd get paid. Exactly. You know. The fact that we just, like, accepted that as the narrative for ages and ages is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in the power of the sacred fire? Join us on Around Grandfather Fire, a podcast where we discuss spirituality, mythology, animism, and culture around a digital fire. We'll be talking about witchcraft, paganism, heathenry, and all the other forms of spiritual expression that you can imagine. If you love hearing about how people practice their faith, how they use it to connect with others and to make sense of the world around them, and if you like to laugh while doing it, then this is the podcast for you. You can listen to Around Grandfather Fire on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Thank you, Jim, for a great commercial. Thank you, Jim, for the great commercial. <laughs> okay. So, Gwen, what is your next deity? Well, I'm sticking with the Etruscans, mm-hmm. and this one is called Apulu, or Aplu, who ultimately Apollo? became Apollo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, he is considered a Chthonic sky god. Ooh, oh, you're going to have to unpack that for me. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting because while he's a god of the sun and light, mm-hmm. thunder and lightning, healing and plague. Right, all, you know, as, like as Apollo, regular old Apollo. Like you have Apollo. He's also volcanic and infernal, hmm. which is where the Chthonic... The underground stuff. Underground stuff comes from. But specifically Vulcanism. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. I thought that was interesting. So it made me wonder if maybe Vulcan Hephaestus Mm -hmm. was broken broken off from from Apulu or Aplu. Interesting. And uh, he was also previously known as Rath, R-A-T-H, Suri, and Usul. Man had a lot of names. Mm-hmm. He did not come directly from Greece, but they think probably that his worship and his mythology and his cult came from Palestrina. Okay. And his parents were Tinia, because, yeah, Tinia, Tinia. come around. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like Semla. Semla. So yeah. Semel? Um, possibly. Semely? Yeah, possibly moon goddess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, siblings were Fuflans and Artume. Oh, not surprising because uh-huh. Artemis yeah, and, Apollo and Apollo in Greek yep. tradition were twins. We're twins. I'm just basically was able to glean the the basics of mm-hmm. what they what they believed. And if you want to know more about how their mythologies kind of were influenced, you go to the Greek or the Roman deities. Gotcha. Because they're that's where the similarities are. Right. Their characteristics in the Etruscan are these. Right. But their mythologies were... Are more Greek more and Roman. More Greek and Roman. Okay. Well, all that kind of Apu stuff. Apu does have the, the volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was so interesting because I was reading that. How, how are you... You'd a, be a chthonic... you ca- underground and, and in the sky? In the sky? How do you do that? Well, apparently you become a volcano. Apparently. Um, I guess... And, I mean, I guess that does kind of bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. And then he, in art, uh, is often shown with a crown and laurel branches. Okay. So, in fact, they showed a um, they showed a coin of Aplu, and you it looks like uh, very similar to what a, like you would see with a Roman 
emperor. Ah. You know, with the with the, yeah, with yeah. the laurel and, and everything. So I thought that was interesting. Hmm. The most interesting depiction we have um, is actually called a statue called Apollo of Vi. It is a life-size painted terracotta Etruscan statue of Aplu designed to be placed at the highest part of the temple. And it was one of like huge... Part of a collection. A huge collection of different lightning deities. He was discovered at Portinacchio Sanctuary in the ancient Vi Latium, in cent- which is now central Italy. It was discovered around 1916, and they, there's only one Etruscan artist that they know of his name, mm-hmm. and his name was Volca, and they believe this was created sometime between 510 and 500 BCE. He was He's very tall. I wonder what he was holding, because his arms have been They believe removed. it was a bow. Oh, okay. They believe his arm was outstretched. Uh-huh. One arm was outstretched. And the other was... And the other was pulled back. Okay. So, or down. So, they think he's carrying a bow. Okay. Because his arm is broken off, people. Yeah. Both arms are broken off. Both arms off. are broken he's off. He's got both legs, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very tall. He's still painted. That's the amazing thing. Is yeah. This, this is a statue, a terracotta statue from 500 BCE, and you can still see the color... A little bit. ...in, in, his, in his robes, yeah. which is kind of a yellow... And his face is still really little, yeah, well defined. You can see braids in his hair, mm-hmm. so it's it's very it's a beautiful statue. Yeah, he's got intact features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his eyes are closed, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. But yeah, this is Volca is one of the the only known sculptors or artists Etrus- the Etruscans. The Etruscans, where they actually know the name. What's so that that's about? that's what I got. What you got for Aplu? That's what I got for Aplu. Right. But I thought he was very interesting just because, again, even though we know the most about these uh, Etruscan deities by looking at their their counterparts, mm-hmm. by their mythologies, they did have their own unique traits and worship and cults. Mm-hmm. And we just, unfortunately, just don't yeah, know. Just don't, just don't have it anymore. Just don't have it. All right. And then I will cover my second deity. So I am going to be talking about Ayapan who is a Hindu deity. Oh. The spelling on this, because there's a lot of double letters, is A-Y-Y-A-P-P-A-N, mm-hmm. Ayapan. The name sort of means Lord Father. Ayan and Apan both mean father, but like one is a more respectful form of father, and so it's usually translated as Lord Father. Mm. It's, it's sort of a peculiar word that doesn't really exist outside of Ayapan himself. Mm. He is the son of Harihara, so Harihara is a combined form of Vishnu and Shiva. So half Vishnu, half Shiva, mm-hmm. who are both male deities. But Vishnu has a form as Mohini, who I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Vishnu's female avatar. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Ayapan is represented as being the son of Shiva and Mohini. So the son of Shiva and uh, the female Vishnu. Um, so often called the son of Harihara because, like I said, Harihara is a combination deity mm-hmm. of Vishnu and Shiva. So although presumably they were separate beings at the time that Ayapan was conceived, especially because Vishnu at that time had to be Mohini for it to work, he's often described as the son of Harihara, so the son of the combined two. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's um, what I love about the Hindu religion. Yeah, that lots of fascinating yeah. layers there. Yeah, lots of interesting layers. So uh, Ayapan is a warrior 
monk, essentially. He's a yogi. I love how you're putting your hands together <laughs> in a prayer pose. In a little prayer pose. A little prayer pose <laughs> um, to indicate that he's a monk. <laughs> he's associated with truth and righteousness. He's also a celibate god. Mm. There's a variety of stories about uh, Ayapan, like you get with all of these mm. uh, sort of widespread deities, especially in very long-lasting religions like Hinduism. Mm-hmm. But so the sort of core or uh, um, baseline story of Ayapan is that, and what's interesting, we don't get into his conception at all. There's mm-hmm. no, like, story about Shiva and Mohini getting it on and creating Ayapan. Maybe he just formed. Well, it's just it's just known it's just accepted mm-hmm. that Ayapan is the son of Shiva and Mohini. Gotcha. They don't actually show up in his story ever. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. They, I wonder if that's a piety thing. I, maybe. I don't know. But they just, they don't, they don't personally appear in the story at all. It's just a known fact, fact that mm-hmm. he is their son. So for whatever reason, because they don't show up, so we don't know why. Could be lost. It could, could be a could story be. that got yeah, lost. Yeah, it could be. But so for whatever reason, they leave Ayapan as a baby in the forest. Aww. Yeah. Unclear why. Like I said. Poor um, unclear if he was lost, abandoned, left there intentionally for someone to find. Maybe they didn't mean to right? create Right, whether he was an accident. A little baby. Unclear. Completely <laughs> unclear why this happened. But Ayapan was left as a baby in the forest. And the king of a particular place went into the forest hunting and found this baby. Like you, like you do. Like you do, and found this baby. Much like Quetzalcoatl's virgin mother, this king and his wife had not been able to have a child. So they were like, hey. Free baby. Free baby. <laughs> Gift of the gods. Uh-huh. So, Literally. Uh, yeah. So they didn't know that, but yes. So the king picks up this baby and is like, I don't know where this baby came from, but I guess it's mine now. Takes him to an ascetic who lives in the forest and is like, do you know anything about this baby? Is this someone's baby? Your baby? Neighbor's baby? Lost and found on this baby? <laughs> and uh, and the aesthetic is like, hmm. In 12 years, you'll find out the truth about this baby. <laughs> and gives no further information. And the king is just like, all right, you know what? 12 years of sun to raise is better than no years of sun to raise. So I will go. take this baby. Mm-hmm. So he takes it home, introduces it to his wife. They adopt the baby and he lives with them and grows up with them and is a a very right and proper young prince, right? Mm -hmm. They do eventually have a son of their own, a biological son, prince's younger brother, but he is disabled in some way. It's not clear exactly how he's disabled, just that he is not able to rule himself. So Mm -hmm. it's expected that the kingship will still fall to their adopted son. Mm -hmm. But there is an evil minister in this kingdom. Isn't there always? Uh Uh-huh. There is an evil minister in this kingdom who has been thinking and plotting. Steal the throne? Yes, basically. So he's thinking, well, the younger brother is disabled and won't be able to be a king. Mm Mm-hmm. So if he is on the throne, then I, oh, as regent, I see. will yeah, I be see. effectively the king. Yeah, they did this kind of shit in Egypt, too, uh-huh. and in England. Exactly. And pretty much anywhere there's anybody who could potentially be a weak uh-huh. king. Uh-huh, exactly. So there's, he's thinking, like, well, the younger brother will be a weak king. Mm-hmm. So I want the younger brother to inherit. So to accomplish this, we have to get rid of this adopted older boy. Oh, no. So he, like, 
pours poison in the queen's ear and convinces her that like, no, 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 your biological son is the one who should truly inherit. Mm. You don't love this adopted boy anyway. Oh boy. <laughs> and the, the, you know, the queen succumbs to the evil minister's <sighs> lies and machinations. Of course. Um, and they come up with a plot to get Ayapan killed. <gasps> That's terrible. Yes. <laughs> he is at this point a 12 year old boy. Oh my God. He is 12 years old. And so they create this fictional illness that the queen is stricken with. Blame it on the kid? No, they, they, but she's, you know, she's lamenting and she's, you know, dying, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And the evil minister is like, oh, I know what can save her. Only one thing can save her. Oh, that. It's a quest. Uh Uh-huh, it's a quest. So he says, oh, only one thing can save the queen, your mother, he says to Ayapan. She needs a draft of tiger's milk. You have to go into the forest and get milk from a tiger. Oh, boy. And Ayapan, being an upright and righteous little boy, is like, I will do this. Of course he will. Of course I will. I will save my mother, the queen. He's, he's a good boy. Uh-huh. He's a good boy. <laughs> Gross, says Kai. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. tiger's milk tastes great, but it's for medicine, so it doesn't have to. Well, presumably, a tiger would, like, you know, well, the, uh, the, eat the, the, yes, the, the offending the Exactly. The, the objective is Ayapan goes, finds a tiger, and gets et. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ayapan goes into the forest to go find a tiger. And the queen is like, oh, 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 my younger son will be king. And the the king is like, oh, my dear wife, I hope you don't die because he's been kept out of loop on all this. And so Ayapan is gone in the forest for a while. And they're all starting to assume like, yeah, yeah he probably got eaten by a tiger. We're mm-hmm. just going to have to settle for not having any remains, probably. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold. Lo and behold. Ayapan comes back out of the forest riding a tigress. Because of course he is. Because of course he does. He comes, you know, he goes in there with his little bow and arrow, and he comes out still with his bow and arrow, but riding a tigress, who is completely chill with him. Of course. Uh Uh-huh. Because he's upright, and he's a fucking god. Uh He's a righteous little boy. And he, you know, rides his his new tiger friend up to the palace, and is like, I've found a tigress. I don't know if she has any milk, but she will definitely help. And the king is like, you're 12, right? Aesthetic said I would learn something about you when you're 12. Mm Mm-hmm. You're a fucking god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the king, like, instantaneously gets it. Yes, that's because the king is actually a nice and, and respectable uh, a, dude. A good man. He's a good man. Uh-huh. Tries um, to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Unlike his wife. Yeah, so he takes lo- one look at his adopted son on top of a tiger and is like, Ah, I see. That is your your divine vehicle. This mm. tigress is your divine vehicle and you are a tiny god. Mm-hmm. And Ayapan is like, Yes, that sounds correct. <laughs> <laughs> and so the king is like, well, I will have to make a shrine to you, first of all. That's the first thing that has to happen when there's a baby god. Mm-hmm. And Ayapan says, great. Turns around, fires his bow, and the arrow flies 30 kilometers before it lands. And Ayapan turns back to his father, the king, and says, that's where the shrine should be. I really should be videotaping this. <laughs> because Ode has now mimicked shooting the arrow out the window. <laughs> <laughs> a really so, nice longbow. Uh-huh, yeah. He fires the arrow. It goes 30 kilometers. And he tells his father, okay, that's where you should build the shrine. And the king says, yes, sir, you got it. Okay. And at that point, Ayapan transforms into his divine form and ascends to the heavens, effectively. Well, yeah, like you do. Uh-huh, like you do when you're a baby god. That's right. It's unclear if he returns long enough to, like, rule this kingdom 
or if it does pass to his younger brother, but like the evil minister is deposed or it's unclear what happens to the kingdom after this point. And <laughs> Githa says, this story is the best kind of chaotic. Yeah, right. a lot happens here. Maybe he blesses <laughs> the kingdom. Maybe, but uh, who knows? He who does knows? seem to, he does seem to love his family and mm-hmm. this kingdom, you know, mm-hmm. he's, so presumably he does nice things for them, mm-hmm. even though the evil minister tried to get him eaten by a tiger. Presumably, like I said, the evil minister is removed. Maybe he got eaten from, by the tiger. Maybe, maybe he did bring a tiger into the palace. But yeah, so so Ayapan is officially recognized as a god, and like mm-hmm. I said, at some point someone recognizes that he is specifically the son of Shiva and Mohini. Mm-hmm. Unclear how. Um, <laughs> there are a bunch of other stories about Ayapan, but they are like very contradictory. In mm-hmm. fact, some of them contradict this essential story, which mm-hmm. is like the baseline story of Ayapan. But that's normal. That's normal <laughs> in any kind of major yeah. uh, widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, mythological tradition like this. It's whatever fits your narrative the best mm-hmm. for your region. and Yeah. You know. So the Tigress is traditionally taken to be his his divine vehicle. Most of the, the gods in Hinduism have a divine vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Tigress is usually his. Sometimes he gets a white lotus, mm-hmm. which is the same divine vehicle that Shiva has, and oh, that's supposed yeah. to be sort of a connection between them. Yeah. He is almost always represented with a bow and arrow mm-hmm. because... As a hunter, that's one, that's like his weapon of choice. Right. He is usually in a pose that indicates he is a swami or like a an aesthetic of some kind. Right. Uh, a, a wise, a holy man. Mm-hmm. He's also associated with yoga. Oh, neat. So sometimes you'll see him uh, performing specific uh, yoga positions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kyogen Shield says, "Wait, they named their son Lord Father, and no one asked. No, his name when he was a boy was not." Uh, Ayapan. His name when he was a boy was um, something else. It started with a K, but it referred to a jewel that was found around his neck when he was a baby. Ah. <laughs> you kind of left that part out. I did, yeah. He he took the name Ayapan after he ascended to the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's uh, another interesting thing about Ayapan. His worship was known for a long time in sort of the southern India region, but he mm. didn't become really popular until the 20th century. Hmm. Um, and he became popular specifically in Kerala, which is a specific part of India, right. that has a, a large Muslim population. Mm-hmm. So there's also a sort of side story attached to the story of the, the tiger's milk debacle mm-hmm. <laughs> that when he was in the forest looking for the tiger, he was accosted by a Muslim brigand by oh. the name of Vavar. And he got he he had a huge fight with Vavar, this twelve year old boy, <laughs> and he won the fight. And apparently, Hindu mythology is exactly the same as a shonen anime, and defeat equals friendship because he beat Vavar in a fight, and, and Vavar best instantly became his best friend yep. and changed his ways and became his trusted lieutenant and helps him fight evil because. Often, Ayapan is called upon in his, you know, as as this righteous young yeah. prince mm-hmm. to defeat evil wherever it is encountered. And Vavar comes with him and is his trusted companion and, and the lieutenant of his armies who helps him defeat evil. I like it. Um, and so Ayapan is also worshipped in the Indian Muslim community alongside his lieutenant Vavar. That's cool. Because they sort of bridge... Yeah. The, um, the, the community. Community. That's yeah. very cool. So I thought that was cool. That's very cool. <laughs> and I love the, I, I love the, 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 just the, the You shit. beat the shit out of me. Exactly. Now we're now best we're buds. best friends. We're buddies. I've never been defeated in a fight before. The fact that you beat me means we must be great companions. That's right. 
That's kind of a trope, though, uh-huh. in, in mythology. Yeah. Like, I think that goes all the way back Gilgamesh to Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Yeah. yeah. Kai says he had everything he needs to be a shonen protagonist at this point. Enemies to friends, a mythical friend, betrayal, mysterious divine origins. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. You could make a shonen anime about Ayapan, no problem. That's right. It would be interesting, too. Um, yes. Oh, God, I hope there's a Bollywood about Ayapon somewhere. There must I, it be. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> there me. There must be with this story. There must be. They do often. They do, Especially yeah. older Bollywood. Mm-hmm. They uh, take their mythologies and they create movies. Yeah. And, and beautiful plays. Yes, and... and, and- Productions. Yeah, and the set pieces are often spectacular. Oh my God, so yeah. I'll have to look up and see if there's yeah, a Bollywood. Yeah, see if there's a Bollywood uh, 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 telling his story. Of Ayapan. That would be um, cool. I would want to watch yeah, that. Yeah, if we find that, we'll let y'all know. I especially like the ones that are based on their mythology. Yeah, although shout out to Om Shanti Om, which is not based on yes. mythology, but is just it's chef just, kiss. Mwah. It's just <laughs> the best ever. So if you've ever if you if you've ever been looking for an entry point to Bollywood, Om Shanti Om. Om Shanti Om is great, and it will also because it's sort of a satire of the Bollywood experience. Uh-huh. It will expose you to a lot of the the tropes in yes. Bollywood. It's fabulous. I love it. It's a, it's a great entry point. Shahrukh Khan. Shahrukh Khan. Yes. It is very best. <laughs> all right. So that's all I have about Ayapan. I thought he's I thought he was interesting. Um, I still have great. Just mysteries in my mind about mm-hmm. why Shiva and Mohini created Ayapan. Was it specifically to give this king a son? Or was, just, what the hell? Wait, like, right, right. Feeling creative. Just, just, just feeling the vibes. You know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> For the giggles, says For Kai. Giggles, entirely yeah. possible. Who knows? Um, Nobody knows. Nobody knows why exactly Ayapan was created, but he was, and he is a great and valiant figure. Yeah. Gods do what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, nobody knows why. Yeah. But Ayapan <laughs> seems like a good kid, yes. you might say. Yes. Um, he's not usually presented as being a 12-year-old, but the fact that he was 12 when he ascended to divinity means that, like, in my head, he's kind of perpetually stuck at 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Riding a tigress. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's all I got for deities today. So. I just really like researching. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> but to be fair, it, it really is. with I, I do recommend, you know, even just reading about the names and, and kind of getting familiar mm-hmm. with, and, like, looking at the images of the Etruscan right, The deities. Etruscan forms. Yeah, they're interesting. It's, it's interesting to see where all this came from. Well, and we've talked before about how the Greek and Roman supposedly parallel deities act, often mm-hmm. have significant divergences, like Ares and Mars being yeah. sort of radically different figures, even though they're both war gods. Exactly. And I just think it's cool, personally. And mm-hmm. I, I also think it's sad that we have we have this amazing Etruscan society. Mm-hmm. That we just don't know. That we just, you know, we about. have bits of. Yeah. Oh, well. So often the case. Mm-hmm. But for now, we will say goodnight. You can find us on Google if you Google the number three and the words Pagans on a Cat or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C. We have a website at 3pagansonacat.com where you can find links to a variety of things, mm-hmm. including our Discord server, which, again, everyone can join. There's only a couple of channels that are exclusive to Patreon members. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority of the server is free for everyone. That's right. We do also have that Patreon, which we very much appreciate your participation in. Absolutely. Gwen has a blog on Patheos Pagan that she occasionally updates. And a TikTok that she updates way more frequently than that. (laughs) (laughs) That's because it's fun. It's fun. And I think that's all the things we do. Pretty much. So we will say goodbye. Goodbye.